2013, we were going to fire this kid because he had screwed something up royally. But we had to do like the whole process. So we were like, okay, well, we're going to put him on an action plan and start giving him training and, you know, see if we can turn him around, which we ended up doing. But I said, hey, build that thing that I built at Quiznos. Like I needed a project for him. You know, build that like audit platform I built at Quiznos, but let's build it for daily checklists. And so he did. And we threw it up on LinkedIn and Witch Witch called. And they were like, hey, we want to buy this. And I'm like, well, it's kind of a thought experiment right now. And I was like, I could build it for you for like 60 grand. And they're like, nah. I'm Tommy Yanolis, and I am one of the co-founders here at Ops Analytica. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart, and today how Tommy Yanolis created a unified way to view real-time data from multi-store locations. All this and more on Code Story. Tommy Yanolis has a traditional tech founder story via hotel, restaurant, and stand-up comedy route. But in all seriousness, his dad was literally a rocket scientist, and his mom was a software engineer. Tommy diverted away from tech initially and did the restaurant thing before jumping headfirst into stand-up comedy, doing it for 10 years alongside several hospitality businesses. When I asked him to tell me a joke, he said his jokes weren't podcast-ready. After he got tired of the lifestyle, he went back to school, got his MBA, met his wife, graduated, and started working for Quiznos. He's married with kids, and they live in Colorado, so he likes to cycle, paddleboard, and being outdoors with his family. He also likes a good cigar now and then. Tommy worked his way up and through the Quiznos organization, specifically landing in ops services. When Quiznos took a turn for the worst, he was tasked with figuring out audit reporting. Through his time there and through some consulting, he created a solution that got the attention of Witch Witch and validated that the market wanted his solution. This is the creation story of Ops Analytica. Ops Analytica is an operations management and analytics platform. So what that means is we focus on helping our clients manage and measure their daily team member operations, right? All those tasks that you need your team to do every single day to make sure you're ready, you're safe, and you can like actually sell your products and services. And we primarily work in the restaurant space, but we have automotive, we're working in medical, we're, we're branching out into pretty much large multi-location businesses. And so we help them make sure that their employees are sort of doing everything they need to do to be ready for that day or that shift. And then also we're capturing all of that uh, data that, you know, before really the invent of mobile technology was just this gigantic black hole of data because you couldn't track, did this guy actually do this? You just kind of had a trust that they did. Um, but now we can actually track what they did and, you know, and then it just goes from there. And like, if they do something, they identify an issue, we can take them through a, like, you know, a remediation process, and get pictures and use Bluetooth devices. And yeah, it just keeps going into this whole like data hole of how do we help these guys better manage and measure what's happening. And uh, this this 
product was really invented when I worked at Quiznos, or at least the, the first version of it was. So I don't know how familiar you are with Quiznos, a sandwich chain, but Quiznos is actually, yeah. It, it, I worked there in 08 and 09. And uh, so I was right there at the top of the Quiznos implosion. And I didn't even know, like I just showed up, I needed a job, I was out of grad school. Um, and like, I was like looking for a gig and I got a job there. And, um, and then my first job there was franchise assistance program. So imagine Quiznos, one of the largest franchise implosions in history at 2008 in the financial crisis. And I'm the guy you call and go, Hey man, uh, my business is failing. So I did that for like the first 10 months I was there. Then we started to really downsize because we were losing a lot of restaurants. And so we had a major riff. And I made it through and I got promoted and I got into op services. And when I was in op services, uh, I was called the RSC, like restaurant support center operations leader, whatever. But I was there and when they came to us and they were like, hey, you need to figure out how to report on all of these audits we're doing. We were out visiting restaurants. We had like 4,500 to 5,000 restaurants in that period. We were visiting them like every month, every two months, trying to gauge what was going on in the system. And so their idea was, well, why don't you and your assistant just type in an Excel, you know, the results of, you know, 4,500 audits a month and uh, then report on it. And I was like, you guys are smoking crack. There's no way in hell. I'm capable of doing this. You just fired everybody. We went from like 400 plus to like 80 people. You know, I had like a hundred unanswered emails every minute of the day in my inbox. I, I got to figure this out, but we didn't have any money. And so I ended up going to IT and IT in perfect IT fashion was like, no, you can't do this. But I was like, I got to build something. Like I can't like do this on my own. And so I found a program called Form Router. And it was like this online form builder. And this is like 0809, like these are Palm phones. These are Windows, those like little Windows mobile phones. Like iPhones don't really, there's a generation one iPhones out that nobody has one, you know? Um, and so I like figured out how to build this, this like online form and uh, do all this and get it going. And, and they used it for years after that, but I got a little online form and then I could download stuff into an Excel and then we could get it in, or excuse me, get it into a SQL database and then I could download it into an Excel. And so that was like our first audit platform at Quiznos. Um, and so I did that. And then a buddy of mine from grad school, which is like the whole value of MBA school is just getting good friends uh, that do cool stuff. And this guy, Jason, was like, hey, man, I, you really enjoyed building that thing for Quiznos. And at that point, Quiznos was riffing people like every two to three weeks. Like it was just like all the executives doors would shut and you'd be like, OK, who's getting fired today? You know, and so uh, it was an unstable place to work. And so my buddy was like, hey, look, there's this workflow platform called Semantic Workflow. And Semantic's like disbanded now. They've been gobbled up, but it's like the uh, the enterprise version of Norton Ant Antivirus. They were huge. And so my buddy had, had worked on Semantic Workflow and he was like, hey, Semantic's hiring me. And so there's an open position at this other company I used to work at and you might be a good person and they need someone to come in and do workflow. Would you be interested? So I go over to that company, uh, right? And I don't realize at the time that they have like, you know, 800,000 in debt and they're basically going out of business. And so they're, uh, so we go in and start doing workflow consulting and I start learning workflow and then they're trying to sell the company, but it's like me, another buddy from grad school and 
my current business partner, Eric, he's the sales guy. And they're like, okay, uh, we're going to sell you guys. And we're like, well, you can't sell us. We're consultants. You don't have a product to sell. Like we don't want to work there. Then you can't sell us. You got to let us buy you out. So they let us do an earn out. And so, you know, I left Quiznos and three months later, um, I own this new company called Wevo Group and it was a workflow company. And we were in the semantic partner channel. So even though we were like at the most, I think we had like eight guys working there. We, uh, our clients were like the World Bank and Comcast and Wells Fargo and Visa because they would sell these huge deals in and workflow was how they just said, oh, it doesn't do it out of the box, but you can do it with workflow. So we were custom business process consultants. And, uh, and so that's how I got into development, but I don't know how to code, but I can like, I understand how software works. And so it's kind of like a WYSIWYG. I don't know if you're familiar with BPM products, but like workflow is like, you know, if you go on Squarespace and you drag a picture on the screen, it writes HTML in the background. Workflow is kind of like you drag a component on the screen and then you add the inputs and the outputs and the component writes .NET in the background. So I don't know how to write .NET, but I know how to build software. Just, I don't know how I know how to do that, but I do. So I just was able to do it. And so anyway, uh, in 2013, we were going to fire this kid because he had screwed something up royally, but we had to do like the whole process. So we were like, okay, well, we're going to put him on an action plan and start giving him training and, you know, see if we can turn him around, which we ended up doing. But I said, hey, build that thing that I built at Quiznos. Like I needed a project for him, you know, build that like audit platform I built at Quiznos, but let's build it for daily checklists and let's just see what we can do. And so he did. And we threw it up on LinkedIn and which, which called and they were like, Hey, we want to buy this. And I'm like, well, it's kind of a video thought experiment right now. And I was like, I could build it for you for like 60 grand. And they're like, nah, we'll go buy this other one for like five grand. And I'm like, ah, darn. But, uh, <laughs> but th that was my market validation. And so I was like, okay, maybe people want this. And, and I knew that it could be useful because I was a restaurant guy and worked in restaurants and, and, and been very successful in restaurants. So I was like, okay, we could probably like, this is something that people need. And so then for like the next 18 months, I nights and weekends, and this poor guy named Alan who worked for us, I kept that dude up relentlessly like four or five in the morning because I lived in Colorado and he lived in West Virginia and he kept like, he was messing up the code, but I would just make him stay up all night and fix it. So like him and I were up like every night till like two, three in the morning. And we basically spent like 12 months, like after our day jobs, building this thing out. And then I got like a beta version of it done, like in March of 2014. I went to a, a, a family friend who was running 18 restaurants on the East Coast. And I said, can we put this in? And just, you guys are the beta client, let's figure it out. And we did, and we did eight major releases in eight months. And then at the end of 2014, my one business, my current business partner, Eric Traverslin, uh, who's a co-founder of Ops Analytica with me, uh, you know, there's some things were happening with Symantec and their support of our platform. And I was kind of burned out on like building new software all the time. I just, SaaS was becoming a thing. And I was like, wouldn't it be great if we could just put all of our energy into one product versus trying to create a brand new fully fledged solution every six months for these clients. So we ended up deciding to end that company and start Ops Analytica. And so uh, we just, that we had, we had, cause I know one of the questions you're gonna get into is about MVPs. We had an MVP, which was what we had built on workflow. So we went out and we recruited a couple of developers to come in on a sweat equity deal. 
And, um, and the, our developer came on because we had an MVP already. We had something we could start selling today. So he was like, yeah, you know, I get asked to do this all the time, but you guys already have something. So why not? You know? Well, let's jump into the MVP then. So that, that first product you built, how long did it take you to build? And you kind of already talked about that, but, but I'm, I'm curious as, you know, what sort of tools outside of what you've talked with, with workflow and the things like that, that you use to bring it to life. So with uh, that, with the workflow platform, what it was is it was uh, windows based. So you needed a windows server to run it on. And then you had the product and then you needed, you could connect it to different databases. And I was most familiar with SQL. So we had a SQL backend. And so in that first version, that MVP version was essentially what we had built, you know, at uh, when we owned the other company and it was just there. And then immediately our developer was like, yeah, we got to get this thing off workflow. So he started coding our app. So really we were only on our MVP version of the platform for about the first six months of having the, um, of having the business. And so he started working on building a front end app. And so version, so like I would look at that as our sub version. That's like negative one would be that version. And that was really just there uh, so that if we could get a demo with somebody or try to get a meeting, we have something to show them, you know, hey, we have a product, we could actually do this. And at the point when we started in January of 15, we had like one client paying us $30 a month. And then we had like another restaurant chain that got to use it for free because they were our beta clients. So we just like, you just use it. And, and keep using it. So we really stopped development on that version and we were just kind of doing everything else in the business, right? Trying to get drum up sales and, you know, learn how to internet market and all these other things. It was just kind of there as our demo platform. So then when uh, version one came out of our platform, it was our new app. So it was the Ops Analytica app, which was how we did the checklists, right? And, um, but then we paired it with another workflow backend. So the guys who had built workflow, they had sold it to Symantec. This is kind of a funny story. So while the guy was on his non-compete, he took the money that he got and started a new company called Decisions. And so he started with his own pocket money, started having decisions built while he was on his non-compete. So that the day his non-compete was over with Symantec, Decisions launched its workflow platform. So he basically had a three year, like, you know, ramp up time where he was building his next platform. So we had a back end, which was on decisions, which was another workflow platform. So we had a front end app and a back end decisions. And the reason why we did it on another workflow platform was because this one was web based, but also because workflow comes with task management, it comes with reporting, it comes with user management, location management, like all these things that you would have to code yourself that take months and months to code already existed there and you can connect to APIs. So what we did was we had an app that you could capture data from a mobile app, but then all that was going into a SQL database and all of the backend management of the platform was done in this workflow platform. So it was a really super fast way to develop um, the platform. And like all the admin stuff, like I ended up learning decisions and building that out um, while my developer was coding just the front end stuff. So really for that first, like, 
mean, I guess we started in June of like 2015 is when we launched the, the first version of Ops Analytica. Through 2017, we were on decisions back end and then our own code for our app. And that wasn't super uncommon then that you had both like a front end and a back end. You know what I mean? Like you had a web portal for reporting and all that, but then you had a front end app. But then we very quickly realized after about a year of being on the decisions platform that it just didn't look and feel like it didn't feel like a cohesive thing. So probably the after the first year, we said, hey, look, we really need to code this whole thing out ourselves. So then we did a big seven month lift to get the back end built out to get us to our current like version of the app where everything is our native code. We have our app and then we have a database uh, from there. And we just, we run our own code set and we're a web app, right? So you get the same experience on Android as you would on your desktop, as you would on iOS though, just, and this is my big complaint. We have to have an iOS app because, and I'm all Apple, by the way, uh, everything I own is Apple, but they are the worst people in the world to develop for. And they don't want you to do anything that they don't have complete control over. And um, and so we have to have an iOS app so we can connect to like Bluetooth and stuff. But um, yeah, so, but it's all the same experience. It's a shell that displays the website and then allows us to, you know, to attach to things like Bluetooth and messaging and whatnot. So you got your MVP, right? Tell me about how you progressed the product from there, how, how you how you shaped it and matured it. And I think to give, kind of put that in a box, I'm, I'm curious how you built your roadmap and decided, okay, this is the next most important thing to build. You know, what happens is, you know, in a bubble, right? If we all lived in a vacuum, right? Like communists, what, did, what does Homer Simpson say? March, communism works, you know, in theory. But like, so in theory, like you would build your app perfectly from day one. You would go, you would build out each module to completion and you would always have a fully like finished product and you wouldn't, you know, need to release anything because, you know, in some dream world. But in the real world, what happens is, is you have an idea of what you want to do. And it's just like every, like that, uh, that analogy about a battle. Everybody's got a great plan until the first bullet's fired. And then all of a sudden it all goes out the window. And what ends up happening is, is that customers and competitors drive your roadmap. And so like, I've always like, there are things that we have today that still aren't done from like the original five page word doc I gave our developer in 2014, you know, like we still don't have that feature. And then other features we have that are like 10,000 times better than I could have ever imagined them being, you know what I mean? But like, so you start off building this thing and you're going, okay, well, we got to get this done. And, and you know, we got to get like this module done or this, this part, like we got to have the checklists, but then we got to have like, and then all of a sudden you're like doing a demo and they're like, well, your reports suck. Where are your reports? Or you, it's generally either you lose a big deal or you, every demo you do, the customers are asking you for something or, uh, you know, a competitor, you lose a deal like, or like you hear uh, in demos, like your competitors got this way better than you. And so, you know, all of a sudden then you're like, well, shoot. You know, we can't sell until we get some reports or we don't have tasks yet or, you know, we need more of this or less of that. And so then you start like you start going, OK, well, we need to get like 
an MVP reporting module out. So just minimum viable, how many reports do we have to have to say we have reports so that in demos we can say, oh, these are our reports, you know? And so then you go and you build out like enough of a reporting module for that period of time that you don't get laughed out of the demos um, as you're trying to sell. And then you stop and then you go, okay, well now we need rules. So then go work on the rule thing for a while. Oh, now we need tasks. And so you start building all these different modules out of your platform and they're all like anywhere from like, let's say like they work, but they might be anywhere from 30 to 80% actually done, but they're done enough for that period of time. And we sort of like, so we have like this overarching goal of where we want the platform to be. But we have all these like little like juts and starts and right turns and left turns. Like it's not a straight line. It's just backfilling in what we need to be able to actually sell and compete in the space. And uh, and so we did that for like, you know, I mean, we're, we did that really through, let's say, 2019. So for like five years, we were just getting enough of something out there to say we have it. But there's a lot of things that like weren't done, you know, like as done as we want them to be. They work, but they're not like the full vision of what that module or what that like little part of the platform should be. And for us, it was really dictated by um, by winning deals because we bootstrapped this thing and we don't have any debt and we don't have any investment. And we have just been running this thing ourselves from day one. And so... You know, we just didn't ever have like, you know, a million dollars to throw at a problem. You know what I mean? We just had to like, uh, you know, which is what you get when you raise money. You give away all this freedom and like all this equity. But then you, someone just hands you a bunch of money and you can just go, hey, build that out to fruition, you know? And so we were kind of bouncing around, backfilling in features that we just needed to win deals and to get through demos without having to say no too much. Because every time you have to say no in a demo, people lock in on that. And uh, then they just get it in the back of their head that, you know, this doesn't work or whatever. So, um, and so we really were doing that through 2020, just, you know, adding features and functionality, getting it to like a point where it worked and we could sell off of it. And then in 2020, we really said, okay, look, we've got to go through and just like start finishing some of this stuff out and bringing it to its fruition so that it can add the maximum amount of value. And so that's sort of, we brought our roadmap back to, okay, let's just take what we have today and make it awesome and keep doing that on all these different things that we've started, you know, in the platform. You know, I keep hearing you say we, and it's a perfect segue into my next question then. So tell me about team. So how did you go about building your team? And and I'm interested in what you looked for in those people to indicate they were the winning horses to join you. My business partner, Eric, and I, um, he uh, he and I have been working together since 2009, right? Like we started Weibo together. Personality-wise, we get along really, really well. And I think we backfill each other. Like I'm more, I would say on the creative side of things. Um, and so I'm more like the creative and, um, and he's more detail oriented. Like he is like an accounting major and I am a, uh, you know, 
hotel restaurant and comedy major. So like, you know, I like, and so we have, we have complementary skill sets and he does a really good job of bringing me back to reality sometimes, which we need because, you know, I can get like very like, why wouldn't you do that? And he's got to be like, dude, no one's going to actually, if it doesn't solve a problem, no one's going to buy it. Stop. And so it's like a good mix. And, uh, we get along really well and, and we've been together for years. Um, and then we have two other partners. Um, and, but they are like silent partners with sweat equity, basically. So, uh, Eric and I, because we were shutting down our other company, right. When we started ops analytica, we had cash. So we had, uh, money. And so we basically said, look, we'll front all the money for this thing. We will use our MVP product. And all you need to do is help us build out your part of the software and you will earn equity in the business when it sells is basically the deals we made with our other two guys. So we brought in a sequel guy who was my sequel guy at uh, Quiznos and uh, has, has been like a, a buddy of mine since Quiznos. And then we found a developer um, through a mutual friend of ours who had worked on, he had worked at Decisions. He lives up in like North Minnesota and um, he didn't want to travel anymore. And he's, and, and thank God for him, his name's Chad and he's our head of development. And, uh, and so, you know, he's like, there's, you know, there's different levels of developer. There is the guy that you say, hey, I need a rule builder. And they go, cool. And they go build you a rule builder that's scalable, that works great, that, uh, you know, has its own like coding language that we develop. And then there's a guy you go, I need a rule builder. And he goes, okay, give me 400 pages of Word document that explains every part of a rule builder to me. And I'll be happy to code it for you. And thank God we got the first type of guy uh, because we wouldn't have a product today if we didn't, you know? because I just wasn't capable of like writing those kinds of detailed specs for people. I just needed to give them bullet points and say, Hey, this is what we need to do. Go figure it out. And you know, the way we structured our business was the one of the ways one of my cigar buddies had structured another company. And he explained it to me like, you know, you give people equity and you have them work for sweat equity, but then you give them some and they will work so much like they will do such a better job than if you just try to pay them, you know, if you just pay them, you'll run out of cash because, you know, it's just, it's a different relationship. And I just think the way we set up the company where we gave people equity and they basically, the deal was you got to maintain this, right? You got to, you got to get your equity. You have to do your part of the job, which in this case was build us this platform. And then you got to maintain it until the company sells it. Like that was the deal. You build the code, get it done, and then you have to maintain it. And if you do those two things, then eventually when the company sells, uh, you will, uh, you'll get a payout on that deal. That's how we structured the business with our initial group of guys, the four guys that started. Um, and then, uh, and then, but Chad never left. Like he just came on as our, like he did his, he built out the platform. He was technically done, but then we gave him a job you know, as we started to grow and then he's just been on ever since, like, you know? Um, and so, you know, we just, we got a recommendation from a, a friend that we trusted. That's how we got in. And, you know, that's always been how I've built both these companies was just these, I got recommendations from people I trusted. That's awesome. That, that sounds super cool. Sounds like you found some really awesome people who, who not only believed what you were doing, but willing to put skin in the game to help you deliver it. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, it, Chad worked for a year with no pay, you know, full time. Like he was in a position to do it. Luckily, too. So like Eric and I, we have wives that are very successful. Like there wouldn't be an ass analytica today without our wives because like his wife's like a huge uh, Salesforce uh, person. She's like, you know, crazy good at Salesforce. My wife's a financial advisor. So like together like our wives like really like they kept this company going because we were able to work when there was no revenue when you know what i mean like when it was tough and then these other guys put their time in chad did full-time and this other guy will he did it at nights and weekends because he had a day job but like you know they put their time in and they earned their equity in the business you know Let's flip to scalability. So did you build this to scale efficiently from day one or are you fighting this as you grew? And, and I kind of kind of know where you're going to go, but I'm excited to see where you go with it. We were so scalable. And uh, because, you know, and there's been times where like I've wanted to deviate and do other things and, and Chad sort of had to talk me back on it. Like I got really enamored with Azure about two years ago and I was like, I, we just got to do everything Azure, man. Like why would we recreate the wheel? And in the future, I might choose to go AWS or Azure and build an app from scratch on one of those platforms and just see if you could take all those different pieces and get them to connect together really easily and quickly to build something really fast. But we, we use a windows environment and we use SQL and we are so infinitely scalable because of that, because, you know, I mean, if our, our hosting got all like got a little wonky and we just were able to move to new hosting and it wasn't like hard, you know what I mean? And, uh, and you know, there's nothing more tried and true in this world than a windows server and a SQL database. Like it's just, you know, it's bulletproof. And um, so in that respect, from an infrastructure perspective, like I'm very happy with those choices. They're not sexy, but like they work amazingly well and you can move the portability of them is insanity. Um, and so that's really worth it. Um, and then from a scalability perspective, you know, the biggest lift in coding, right, is one to two. And, um, you know, because two to a million is just RAM and processor speed and, and somewhere to store stuff. But like one to two is hard. But when you have a developer who is not just a an employee who's under a deadline and, you know, under like, hey, just get this done as quick as possible, as cheap as possible, but is actually like an owner and is seasoned out for themselves, then they code in a way where, you know, where we built things to go to and above, right? They're, they're variable in nature for the most part. We obviously had a hard code in some things. There are, there are some sort of, this, you know, solid things in the system that are like locked down. But like, for the most part, we really did focus on, you know, how can we handle more and how can we handle, you know, more variability. And one of our biggest features is our rule builder, our business logic builder. And it, it's our biggest differentiator. It helps us win more deals than anything else. And we have our own language that we can write these rules in. And it's like this amazing thing. And it helps us win the majority of our businesses, what we can do within our platform because we have this variable nature, scalable aspect to our platform. Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all you've built, what are you most proud of? You know, you tell people at a cocktail party, like, what do you do? And they go, well, I have an app. And they're like, okay, really? You have an app? Okay. You know what I mean? And like, then they find out like who our clients are and like, you know, and it's like, 
I think I'm most proud of the fact that our app just works really, really, really well. Um, it's to the point now where like, if we get six support tickets in a day, we start freaking out because that's like so many more than we normally have. Like our churn is like, like we, like our churn is like unheard of low. Like probably, I, I don't like to say anything out loud, but it's like less than a percent, you know? And like, um, I'm knocking on like some wood furniture right now because I don't want to jinx myself. But like, um, we just have built such a solid platform and it's being used in like 19 countries by so many people every day. Uh, like it has to be solid and it just works really well and like i'm just so proud of that thing that like our customers like when we have the right customer fit and they're capable of like implementing the technology they can be successful with it and it's so neat to watch them do stuff that you couldn't even imagine people doing you know like it's just that's what i'm proud of i'm proud of like how solid the platform is and it needs to be because we don't have the team to support if it was bad. You know what I mean? Like we don't have 50 guys sitting around on chat all day long, banging out support tickets. Like, you know, it's, we just, we couldn't afford to do that. If the platform didn't run well, we would be in real trouble. So I'm just proud that it actually does what it's supposed to do. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. I think the biggest mistakes we made weren't on the tech side so much. I think they were more like on the marketing and the sales side. So, and I totally own this by the way. Um, so I'm a restaurant guy, like, and I understand restaurants. And like, when we launched the platform, I think this is like an interesting thing because it's on the business side. But when we launched the platform, we hired like this professional like copywriter that we knew to write these blogs. And, and our original messaging was, operations data right you gotta have operations data just like you have to have pos data and you have to have inventory data and all these other data sources that people and companies use every single day to make better data-driven decisions my whole our point was well you gotta have the same you gotta do the same thing with operations data right and so we came out with all these really well-written blogs that were kind of our our statement to the world about ops data and you gotta have it and and you know money ball for restaurants and all these things you know and uh that messaging fell flat on its face no one gave a crap and it was horrible and it was like because i just had such high expectations of like you know by like a year into this we'll be making money and it'll be cool you know what i mean and it just that didn't end up happening and um and so but then what we did was because i felt like i had such a uh understanding of the marketplace right and then we also got sucked into all these uh reading all these books on like marketing and 8020 and you know all these internet marketing things you know anybody if you ever read about a brand a brand's got to stand for something right and so then for like literally the next four five years right the first five years of the company we told people what their, we tried to tell people what their problems were and how our platform would solve it because that simplifies your marketing. You know what I mean? It's very easy to go like, you know, paper's your problem, lazy employees are your problem, food safety is your problem. And that's fine. But then when you actually talk to people, if that's not their problem, then they just don't think your platform can help them. So for five years, we told everybody what their problem was. And then in 2020, in 2019, we had a really good sales year and we closed our two first big enterprise level clients. And I was interviewing one of those enterprise clients like right before COVID, 
happened, like March of 2020. And I was talking to him and he told me, he was like, you help us identify the problems we didn't even know we had and you keep us from making million dollar mistakes. Like that that came out in this interview um, with this uh, new customer. And he gave us an example of how they were like trying to solve this problem and, and the path they went down and how they used us to actually figure out what the real problem was and how it saved them a ton of money because they were going to go down a path where they were going to hire more people to like backfill like uh, this whole issue they're having anyway and it was but it was that tweak you help us identify these operational problems that we didn't even know we had which was only like really like two degrees off of you need operations data to run better operations right but instead of uh, but it was the difference was we're not telling you what your problem is We're telling you we have a way for you to figure out what your problems are and solve your current problems. And they're your problems and you already know what they are. We don't need to tell you what they are. You know what they are. You're dealing with them right now based on your culture, based on the complexity of your operations, based on how much training you have, on the quality of your leadership, all these things. You have these issues and our platform can be here as something that can help you identify and solve those issues. And so... The biggest mistake we made wasn't, I don't think, technological so much as it was just, you know, and I put it on me. I was following all those books and I was relying on my expertise in this industry when I should have been, you know, really focusing more on how do we help these guys solve their problems? Because they're all different. Because, you know, you go look at an industry and at a 30,000 foot level, they're all the same. They all do the same thing, restaurants, whatever, oil change places. It doesn't matter. But then when you dive into the nitty gritty, they have different actual issues they're dealing with, you know, for whatever reason, their system's different, their process is different, you know, they're different technologies. So, so that was the biggest issue I think that we had as a company was just really understanding what our value prop was and how to communicate it in a way that resonated with customers. So, so what does the future look like for you know, Ops Analytica, the product, and for your team? Last year, like, so it was really just the core guys for the first couple of years. And then we, we hired our first sales guy in 2018. And, um, and then this last year, we hired some more implementation people. This year, we've already hired another salesperson. And we're hiring uh, some more implementation and developers. So we are starting to grow. Um, we... You know, we're over the hump, I would say. We're over the first major milestone of a startup in that now we're, like I said, we're bootstrapped. So we are generating enough revenue on our own and we're good enough now at selling the platform that we are able to fuel our own team growth and grow our business from there, uh, which is like just so exciting to be at that point. Um, so from a team perspective, it's just growth. We just want to hire uh, as many we want to bring on sales guys we, our goal is that they're paying for themselves within the first six months and then as soon as they're paying for themselves we just want to get another sales guy in and just keep expanding out into different verticals because there's nothing about our platform that's like restaurant specific it can work in any vertical that you have employees out in the field doing repetitive tasks and, and checklists um, and then from a software perspective 
what we're really trying to do right now is just, we have all these cool modules and different things. We really just want to get every part of the platform um, as efficient and really deliver value with each module uh, in the platform for the large enterprise clients. So we're really just focusing, I think right now internally on how do we get the platform like to like, you know, version three, like everything's been version, you know, two for the last couple of years. I want to get to version three, which is then we start adding a bunch of new functionality, you know, like new and better stuff. But I want to get everything that we currently have, like just completely done and awesome and adding value before we start throwing more on top of that. And, uh, you know, looking at IO, uh, you know, um, in the future for us, it's going to be uh, being able to hook into more data sources, uh, whether those data sources be sensors, whether they be wearables, whether they be AI, whether we're combing the web for data and just sort of becoming more and more of a an analytics hub that can also take action. Because that's something that's unique about our platform too. Like we're an analytics platform, but we're not like Microsoft BI because we have to have, we have to provide the ability for people to actually enter data into the system and then also analyze the data. So we're not just analyzing the data, we have the whole data entry part is ours as well. And that makes us unique and gives us a lot of like capability that other people don't have. Like I can, just as an example, I can tell you if a checklist was accurate or not when it's being collected. So then when you go to do analytics, you don't have to scrub the raw data. I can, you can literally push one button and just see accurate data or inaccurate data, which both have value, right? Accurate data is good for making decisions. Inaccurate data is really good for going, hey, we have to coach these team members on doing this correctly because this stuff's not correct. So we have both sides. We're the data collection tool and the analytics tool. Let's switch to you, Tommy. Who influences the way that you work? You know, name a person that you look up to and why. My mom was a workaholic, and I think I got a lot of her. So for better or for worse, for my wife and my kids, I am like much more like my mom, who was a total workaholic. And then I also think like from a, uh, a personality trait uh, you know, whether it was stand-up comedy or owning these companies or just, I just have like a, one of, I'm like a boxer, the horse and animal story, like just work harder, you know, like I just don't, um, I think, uh, I just want to be, uh, I'm very, I don't like confrontation. So I never want to be called out on not doing my best. And so I think that just like that and the workaholic gene just drives me to like keep going and going and going. Um, and so probably one of the hardest things I've had to learn over the last couple of years is that work-life balance, you know, um, because, you know, you got to be there for your family or your kids, especially when, uh, you know, they're young, they need you. So, so that's probably it. Well, we talked about a mistake earlier, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently or where would you consider taking a different approach? From a technical perspective, I probably, though being on that workflow platform decisions allowed us to get something out to the marketplace faster. But I think if I could do it again, 
I would have tried to code our own thing faster because we were really hamstrung by having two by having a sort of what felt like a disjointed platform uh you know that that idea of having a front end app and then a website that was completely different you know that was like okay in like the late 2000s but once you cross 2010 people just kind of expected uh a consolidated platform if you will you know what i mean and uh, it just it was very weird to demo that platform and it made it really hard to get people excited even though the reality was is that it didn't affect them because they were getting emailed reports and all of these things um and uh, they never really had to go into that platform uh, so at the beginning you know but still it just it was weird and people didn't like it the other thing that i would tell you that has another been another mistake is is that we have made some decisions development wise and this is one of the most frustrating things about being a founder too We know for instance that people get burned out on notifications, right? I get up every morning and I have 10 automated emails in my inbox that I delete every single day. I never look at them. I they're there and I delete them every day. And there have been some things where we have said, "Hey, look, we do exceptions this way or we do notifications this way." And and um And they're right by the way. Like, you know, we only tell you when there's something wrong. You're not going to just blow up your inbox with stuff that's right. Like that doesn't make sense. You're going to ignore it. And and yet we fight that we we are I I think we're absolutely correct in that like that makes more sense and like it's just dumb to like, you know, send people stuff that they, you know they're going to delete. But yet there's been several things like that where we have dug our heels in and said no, we're not doing it. And it has cost us dearly and we should just shut up and do it the way they want it so that they sign on and just let them turn it off and know that they're going to turn it off and it's just one of those paradoxes of development that people still want to manage everything out of their inbox you know what i mean and there's been a couple of things like that where we kind of dug in and put our foot down for years and then finally like just said now we'll just do it the way you want it and it just cleared so much friction out of our lives. Well, we'll ask question Tommy. So so you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't we show it off to you right there on the plane? What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? I would say, you know, having been from a bootstrap startup, having, you know, we didn't really start to figure things out for 3 to 5 years like it took us like 4 yeah it was like 3 to 5 years before we really started to figure things out and our platform got to a point where it was really sort of marketable and sellable and i would say that if you're making if you can afford to and you're not mortgaging your future and you're not putting yourself and your grandkids in debt but if you're making incremental progress the platform's getting better you're adding sales even if it feels like they're glacially slow at some points and you know you're delivering value to customers to just stick with it because everything takes longer than you think it's going to take you know 2 3 4 5 times longer some points and it's just just keep battling you know you're going to get kicked in the face and just feel it for the day and then get up tomorrow morning and go okay why did i just get kicked in the face on that deal 
why did we lose that deal? Why did uh, we lose this to a competitor? What do we got to do to fix it and just get back to work? Because these things are these the, these apps, these these platforms are, you know, it's just consistently executing and getting things better and nothing's like stagnant. You can always make everything better. You can always iterate through it. Just don't give up because there are times when I should have given up for sure for like a million reasons and I just refused to do it and you know and now like you know we're seven years into this thing but now we're like in a really good spot there were a lot of times when like you know we just got punched in the face and we just had to keep going and thank god we did right because now we're here today but man it would have been easy to quit it would have been easy you know to go get a job that paid $150,000 health insurance and all that stuff you know but I just thank God we kept going because you will eventually get over the hump. That's great advice. Well, Tommy, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Ops Analytica. Oh, you're so welcome, man. I really appreciate this. It was wonderful to be on the show. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash codestory for just 5 to 10 bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.